Good evening, everybody, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled Man's Ultimate Purpose, a Dwelling Place for God in the Physical World. And tonight we're going to summarize chapters 35 through chapters 37 of Tanya. The Baal Shem Tov was about to pass away, and he calls his students to gather around him. And each student he gives a job. You I'd like you to become a rabbi in the city of such and such. You, there's a need for a shochet in, in such and such a city. You know, you, I, I really, the chazen, you'll be a sofer. And you, he says, to someone we'll call Rabbi Nachum, your job is to become a storyteller. Now this is not what he was expecting to hear. His job in life is to become a storyteller. He was uh, on track to be a tremendous Torah scholar, tremendous rabbinic leader, and here his instruction is to go and tell stories. And he was very taken aback, but his Rebbe said, your task is to be a storyteller, so be it. Then he goes around telling stories and he becomes known as the storyteller the storyteller of the Baal Shem Tov. And one week a rich man reaches, reaches out to Rabbi Nachum and he says, please come to my house for Shabbos. I'm sorry, Rabbi Nachum or Rabbi Nachum? Rabbi Nachum. It's a made-up name. Oh. But we're calling the this, this storyteller Rabbi Nachum. Okay. He says, please come to my house and I'll pay you. This man was known to pay a lot of money to share a story of the Baal Shem Tov. This rich man. Okay, so Rabbi Nachum, he's, he's the storyteller. He goes to the rich man's house. And the rich man announces, Friday night, everybody's invited to my house for a Shabbos meal. And you're going to hear a story from Rabbi Nachum, the storyteller. And he makes a meal like never before. And everybody is there, men, women, and children, to listen. And Rabbi Nachum gets up. And he starts sharing a story. He says, I, one time it's about Shem Tov, and the story slips his mind. His mind is empty of stories of the Baal Shem Tov. Nothing crosses his mind. He, the famous storyteller, the man who was appointed by the Baal Shem Tov to become, to share stories, everything slips his mind. He's extremely embarrassed. The whole city is gathered. It's like imagine you're at the JCC for a big speech, and the person gets up there as blank. But that's the reality of it. So the rich man, not phased, tells everybody, it's on me. Come back, Shabbos stay tomorrow. You'll come back. And again, the same story repeats itself. Everybody is gathered. Rabbi Nachum gets up and he starts sharing and he goes blank. The rich man says, everybody come back for Shalosh Seudos. A big meal is put out. And they introduce Rabbi Nachum again and he goes blank. Okay, there's a fourth meal of the day. What's it called? Malava Malka. Have you heard of Malava Malka after Shabbos? And again, he tells everybody, come after Avdala. And the same story repeats itself. And Rabbi Nachum now, he is extremely, extremely embarrassed. And the rich man says, don't go anywhere. Stay, stay, please. Monday morning comes, nothing. He can't remember a story and he heads out, an embarrassed man. And on his way out, as he's ten minutes out of the way, he remembers one story. 
and he comes back to Rabbi Nach- he comes back to the rich man's house and he says there's one story I recall what's the one story he says I personally would travel around with the Baal Shem Tov and if you know this, the Baal Shem Tov when he would get into his wagon everybody would fall asleep this was the custom everybody fell asleep and the horses would drive themselves. That's, that's. Okay, so everybody falls asleep and the horses drive themselves and they come to a city. They alight, they get out, and they knock on the first Jew's house there and the Jews start screaming at them. Are you crazy? Get out of here. Don't you know what's happening? There's going to be a big speech tomorrow by this big anti-Semitic priest it's dangerous here, we're boarding up our houses. Get out of here right away! And they go and they go to many Jewish people's houses and they all are screaming, What are you doing here? You don't belong here. Finally, one Jew is nice enough to squeeze them in. He says, Just get in quickly. And he boards up the house. And they come inside. And the Baal Shem Tov now turns to Rabbi Nachum himself and he says, I want you to go to the city hall where the speech is going to happen and go to the priest and whisper and tell him he has a message the message is that the Baal Shem Tov wants to talk to you this big anti-semitic priest that all the Jewish people are boarding up their houses from mm-hmm. Rabbi Nachum is given a task to go with, tell him the Baal Shem Tov wants to talk to you you know so if the Baal Shem Tov tells you, so, so it is. And he goes, he's not extremely excited about this, but he goes to the, in front of this massive gathering, and he somehow gets to the priest and he whispers, the Baal Shem Tov wants to talk to you. So the priest says, I can't come now, I'm about to talk, I'll come after. And that's what happened, he comes after. And the Baal Shem Tov locked himself in the room with the priest, they had a conversation. And the priest was never heard of again. That's the story Rabbi Nachum is sharing with this rich man. And he looks up at the rich man because now finally he's, he's been very embarrassed. He's forgotten stories for so long. And the, the rich man is crying. And he says, I'll tell you the other half of the story. He says, I am that priest. And... I'm a Jewish man who unfortunately got caught up and I became this very anti-Semitic priest. And the Baal, when I locked myself in the room with the Baal Shem Tov, one of the things I asked the Baal Shem Tov was, when will I know I am forgiven for my sins? Which the Baal Shem Tov shared, when you hear this story, so, so now the rich man says, every time you didn't have a story to share, I knew why. Hmm. I wasn't yet forgiven. Hmm. Obviously, it's clear tonight I'm forgiven. That's the story. That's the story. Now, why did I share this story? Why did I share this story? Because could you know, let's think about that storyteller for a second. This well-to-do man, he's, he's a prodigy, he's about to become this big shot, this big rabbi, whatever it would be. And he's, he's told, your task now is to become a storyteller. 
How are you going to feel? I mean, Basha, how would you feel? You're up to something big. I mean, there's a similar story where a rabbi was instructed to become a... I'm not going to share the whole story now due to lack of time. But a rabbi was told to become... A, what do you call it? Someone who, who would take you on your way on a wagon? A driver? A, a wagon driver. A wagon driver, yeah. So this rabbi was told to become a wagon driver. Like, how would you feel if that happened to you, Baruch? What would it make you feel like? Well, a lot of people become Uber drivers. It's true. And have you ever spoken to them? Are they happy? Some of them are. Some of them are. But if someone was, was, was a doctor, and now he's an Uber driver, talk to him about it. They do it. They need to do it. But that's not... It's, yeah. it's heartbreaking. Well, immigrants do it. Well, that come uh, doctors and lawyers who come to this country and can't practice. It's true. Yeah. But it's still hard on them. Yeah. It's very hard. Taxi drivers in New York. kind of worthless. Yeah. If you're a doctor you and you have to do that, that you become an hunter. It would make you feel Barth said worthless. Sure. I'd like to use that word. I like that word worthless. I think I think that's a real right, Albert. Do you agree with that that yeah. feeling of worthless? You know, I want to share with you on a personal note, two personal stories. One is when when my father um, was instructed by the Rebbe to move to Portland, Oregon. At that time, he was in Melbourne, Australia, and he had come for a little visit to New York, and he was planning to go back to Melbourne and pack up. And the Rebbe's assistant told him that right now there's a fire burning in Oregon. You can't go back to Australia. Your task now is in Oregon. And that's the story. He didn't go back. Someone else packed up his stuff, put it on a boat, and a year later it came. He came to Portland. Myself, personally, a few months back, I had a, had a decision I needed to make about you know, some items. But basically, the gist of the question was, do I focus on my own personal self-growth at the cost of children learning or do I say that the children's learning is something that I have to you know, be able to invest more time in? And the answer that I got from my mentor is what we're going to learn tonight that our task in this world is to bring God here whatever that takes. And the physical action is more important than the spiritual action. And let's go back to all those stories. They all have that theme. That storyteller, he could have been learning more, but he had a job. To, his way of physically bringing God into this world was through sharing stories. Hmm. So my father, when he was instructed to come, it was told, if you want to bring God into this world, you're going to do it by going to Portland now. So myself, when I had to make that decision, it was like, I could study, and of course, Torah study is extremely important. But let's focus on creating a better world, a better physical world. A dwelling place for God in the physical world. So let's, let's jump into this here. We're, we're in the beginning, the class. Oh, today we're going to talk about a quick overview. We're going to talk about the... Importance of the physical deed, making a dwelling place in the lower realms, and perfecting the world of mitzvah at Shlomo HaMelech shared 
And that's if you look at the pictures on the side. He says, Shlomo HaMelech himself says, a wise man's eyes are in his head. Now, aside for one person, Eric Kimmel, you're familiar with the storyteller? Eric Kimmel told me a story. I don't know if you're familiar with Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblets, his, one of his books. He shared, he shared with me a story. So in Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblets, there's pictures of monsters. And he, he shared a story of one of his artists who saw a monster, a human being, I, with, that had this crazy face. But a, a human being, their eyes are in their head. So what was Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, saying? A wise man's eyes are in his head. So the Zohar tells us it means that a, eyes, a wise man, his eyes are always in Hashem, in the Shekhinah that's above his head. Let's now look for a moment at this, these pictures. You have the human being, which is the wick. The body is the wick. You have the flame, the fire, which is the Shekhinah of Hashem. And you have the oil. What connects the candle? What connects the wick and the fire? Is the oil. What is the oil connecting the Shekhinah and the human being? That is mitzvot. So again, on top of each and every one of us is the Shekhinah. How are we going to bring the Shekhinah to unite with us, connect with us? Through mitzvot. And this is a really important item. This idea that the Shekhinah is, where, is wherever we are, right? Because of this, what do, what do men do? We're a Men, we're a keeper. For this reason. Because the Shekhinah is always above us. It's always above ladies as well. But men, we're a keeper to always remember, remind ourselves that the Shekhinah, God is always right on top of us. But how do we bring it into us? It's through mitzvot. Why mitzvot? Oil, if you have a proper fire, the oil is completely consumed in the fire. When the fire is complete, there's no more oil left. That means the oil has become, become one with the, with the fire, with the whole story here. Mitzvot are one with the Shekhinah. Mitzvot are one with Hashem. And therefore, like oil which becomes one with the fire, mitzvot are one with the Shekhinah. And when we do mitzvot, we are connecting with Hashem. Are there any questions at this moment? We have the human being is the wick, the Shekhinah is the fire, and the mitzvot connect us. Clear? Okay. So now, let's go ahead and jump ahead to the effect of mitzvot performed with thought and speech on the body. There are three garments. Could you call them out? What are the three garments of the soul? They are thought, speech, and action. The soul can perform items through thought, through speech, and action. However, if you perform a mitzvah through thought, what mitzvah could be performed through thought? Prayer needs verbalization, speech. What mitzvot can be done through thought? Love of God, fear of God. They don't need speech. Your thought alone is enough. So we have mitzvot that are done with thought. We have mitzvot that are done with speech. Yes, you mentioned before prayer, speaking, not, speaking kindly about another Jew. 
What's another mitzvah done with speech? Reading from the Torah. Reading from the Torah. If we do mitzvahs connected with thought and or Torah study, Torah study is thought and speech, but there's no action. Right now, we're thinking or speaking, but we don't have the action at this moment. Torah, when you go ahead and you do mitzvahs with your thought or speech, you are drawing down Hashem into a more spiritual level, thought or speech. But you haven't drawn God down into the physical. You haven't drawn God, God down into the physical action. Let's see that inside. When a person occupies, in the last two lines of the first page, when a person occupies himself in the Torah, his neshama, which is his divine soul, with her two innermost garments, only are absorbed in the divine light of the blessed Ein Sof. So when we go ahead and we are involving ourselves in Torah study, we're connecting with a more spiritual level. However, if our goal, if you want to connect with the physical, well, let's turn the page to page two. Effective mitzvot performed by the body. Can we call out maybe five mitzvot performed by the body? What's the mitzvah performed by the body? Making challah. Making challah. One. Lighting the candles. Two. Shabbos candles. Rubbing, wrapping. Uh, wrapping filling. Three. Separating the challah. Separating the Let's include that in challah. Two more. Two more. Maybe Giving staka. One more. Coming to class. Coming, driving to class. Good. <laughs> this is physical. When you go ahead and you do something physical, so not only is your thought and speech united with Hashem. Remember that illustration we had before of the oil connecting, connecting our soul and, and the Shekhinah together? Not only are we connecting our soul with the fire, we're connecting, number one is, let's see that inside, on the top of page two, the very energy of the body itself, which is engaged in this action is absorbed in the divine light and in His will, and is united with Him in a perfect act union. So, when you go ahead and you are making challah, the energy that your body is... takes energy to make challah, right? If you've made challah, it's not so simple. You're physically putting in energy. That physical energy is now inside of the previous fire we saw. Not only is it physical energy... But the ability for your physical body to act takes the energy of the vital soul, number two, thereby also the energy of the vital soul spirit in the physical body, which originates in the klipas noga, is transformed from evil to good, and is actually absorbed into holiness like the divine soul itself. So not only is the physical energy of your body while making this challah caught up in the fire, but the vital soul, which is instructing your body to act, the energy of the vital soul is caught up now in this flame. And not only is the energy of the vital soul connected with the act caught up in the flame, but illuminating the totality of the vital soul throughout the body. And also the physical body itself in a manner of encompassing from above, from head to foot. Let's summarize this. If you go ahead and you study Torah, if you're doing something with your thought or speech, you're connecting with God. That flame is there, but with your more spiritual aspects of yourself. When you go ahead and do a physical mitzvah, 
you are going ahead and you're wrapping tefillin, you're going ahead and lighting Shabbos candles, you're eating kosher. So the physical body is connected to, is connected to that fire. The vital soul allowing the physical body to do that, the energy of the vital soul is consumed in that fire, and the entire vital soul is consumed in that fire. So now we see that if I want my physical body, if I want the physical world to be connected, I need to do physical mitzvos. Albert, clear? No. No, please. What if you comfort the sick and give to the poor? Good. Is that that's a physical mitzvah. That's a great question. You, you tell me. But everything that you talk about is with God. Ah, there's two See, types of mitzvot. That's, that's what I'm trying to figure there out. There are some mitzvot that are between man and God, and yeah. some mitzvot between man and man. Okay. But they all have the same amount of godliness within them. God has instructed us to visit the sick. Oh, yeah. Comfort the poor. Sorry, comfort, comfort, comfort the, the sick. Comfort the, the Yeah. Those are all divinely inspired and have godliness within them. But they're a physical thing. Yes, yes. Okay. I get it. Why are they physical? Because you're physically affecting someone else. If you would talk to yourself, it would be speech. Yeah. But you're talking to somebody else. You're actually connecting with them. Yes, David. In a slightly different phraseology, this is important enough that it's in the sitter. And uh, it is not in every sitter. It is in our sitter because it's an important part of Hasidic Judaism. Wait, wait, what is in our sitter? Uh, the uh, perfect union. Mm. Yes, yes. The shame you could, yes. Thank you. That's not in every sitter? No. The Sephardim actually do it before every mitzvah. The Sephardim have a custom to say, we're doing this for the sake of the union. Hmm. Um, yeah. An interesting hit, a point to you. What is the name of the Turkish congregation in Seattle? Bekur Visiting the sick. So, we've established that if you want to connect with the physical... Sorry, did you have a question? No. no. If you want to connect with the, the... If you want the physical world to be connected to Hashem... You need to go ahead and do mitzvahs connected with the physical. However, we haven't shared at this moment why I care if the physical world is elevated to godliness. Why should I care? If God wants me to study Torah all day, so let me study Torah all day. Who, where do we see the importance of affecting the physical world? But is, is Shekinah God? I appreciate that question. And I put it in a footnote. Let's see it together. I, I, def, let's look at this footnote number six on the previous page. Shekhinah, what is it? What does, does the word Shekhinah mean? So the definition Tanya gives is the revelation of its blessed divinity and of the light of the blessed ain't so in anything. That is to say, that such thing merges into the light of God and its reality is completely dissolved in Him, and only then does the one God abide and manifest itself in it. Shekhinah means godliness coming within something else. Shokhinah, the word Shekhinah means to dwell. But you have to, cause, but some, you have to cause for that to happen, right? Well, for example, well, doing mitzvah. Yes, you, you, God forbid, someone could, could block the Shekhinah from dwelling within them. 
So Shekhinah is the revelation of His blessed divinity. Does that answer the question? Okay. So you have to open yourself up for that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. There's a spark. The is the spark. Yeah. And then the spark comes down yeah. to us and comes into our soul. So, let me clarify. These are great questions, and you're both right, and I'm wrong. And I'll explain why. I, I, because I, I said yes to your question, the answer would be yes and no. And let me, let me explain. Hash, the entire, nothing exists in this world without Hashem. So we cannot say there is an item in this world does not ha- that does not have Hashem in it. So on the one hand, you don't need to allow Hashem in you. Hashem is in you. You can't get rid of Him. If you get rid of Him, you are, not, you are non-existent. You cannot exist without Hashem in you. So what does it mean? And that would go back to your point. When you are born, Hashem is in everything. Hashem, yeah. The revelation of godliness... I just want to see how what's the bit term here. Kind of maybe well, even in even in, in footnote six, it says clearly, "What is Shekhinah the revelation of His blessed divinity? For God to be be revealed within you, that you need to allow." By studying Torah and performing mitzvot, a Jew can draw divine light down in onto his soul. At the same time, he can unite the godly source of that light with the godly source of his soul. And this is the one meaning of serving God with the intention to unite the Holy One, blessed be He, and His Shekinah, yes. according to Strangsaltz. So everybody's correct. Hashem is within everything, but it's revelation you, God forbid, can conceal and hide. So, how, so why do I care, though, about mitzvahs? Why are mitzvahs important? Why do I care about the mitzvahs being done in the physical? Are you familiar with, uh, there's a name for it. So what's the man who would lock himself up and only study? Um, there's an English name for it. There was a magician that did that. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> there was, there was a certain, during the 16, 1700s, there was an idea of, of that the holiest man in the city was the man who locked himself up and would never talk to anybody and only study. And actually, the Tanya, one of the, one of the novelties was, the novelties of Hasidus, Chabad, is our goal is not to be locked up and just study Torah. Mm-hmm. We need to do the physical. How do we know that? And that's sec- the next section on page two, a dwelling place in the lower realms. Let's see the italics of the first bullet. This is a quote from the Medrash. The Medrash says, The purpose for which this world was created, why was the world made? It's a famous question. Why was the world made? People struggle with this every day. And here we have the answer that Hashem has told us clearly. That the Holy One, blessed be He, desired to have an abode in the lower realms. Hashem says, why did I create a world? Stop asking the question, I'll give you the answer. The answer was that I can dwell in the lowest of low. Hashem wants... That in the lowest of low he dwells. What does low mean? If you're in footnote 12, we explain, quoting from Tanya, that if Hashem is everywhere, there's no high, there's no low. Low means in the darkest place. Hashem had a desire, Hashem had a desire to have a dwelling place in the lowest of low. 
that in the place of darkness and Sitra Achara, throughout this world, the Ein Sof light of God will shine forth with greater strength and intensity and with the superior quality of light that emerges from the darkness than its radiance in the higher worlds. Hashem wants in this world there should be a greater revelation than anywhere else. I've made this point in the past and it relates to what you're saying. That is why there is no monastic tradition in Judaism. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> but there are some people that just lock themselves up and study all the time. Don't work and don't do anything else. Not many in Judaism. It's, a, it's essentially a Christian tradition. It's, you, you, it's not looked upon with any favor in Judaism. Well, do you mean like in Israel? Not Hasidus. So, so let me talk about those people in a good way. Mm -hmm. the, their wives work. Their wives work. What? No, no. Those people are st studying. Mm -hmm. But what we're learning here is not a contradiction to that. What we're learning is that with the, the, what the contradiction is if they're studying overdoing mitzvot. In other words, if someone would come and say, look, I'm going through a terrible time. Can you be of assistance for me for a little bit? And they say no, that's a problem. But if, if there's a balance between the two, that is holy, to be able to study. We're not talking about, yeah, yeah, the idea of someone being able to, to connect with Hashem through Torah study and, and mitzvot is a very holy thing. Not, though, at the cost of mitzvot, of being kind to others, being respectful of others. Well, that's, well, that's interesting because... It kind of emphasizes the, the connection between the, the two other garments, the thought and the speech, because, because it's important. So well, you just talked about those people in Israel. It's important to learn and to have a will to want to do mitzvot. You can't just do mitzvot without any thought or speech or anything. It has to come from somewhere. So you can't really separate them. Yes, and actually we'll talk about them in the later chapters about how it comes together. So, just an example is given. What does it mean Hashem had a desire? Tell me again. What does it mean that Hashem had a desire? An example that Hasidus gives at times is, is it exciting for you to hear a human being talk? It's not so exciting. It's kind of, you know, it's expected. Depends on who it is. It depends on who it is. No, but... I was going to say, it depends on who <laughs> But what I meant to say is the idea of a human being talking is not such an incredible thing. It's, it's incredible that humans talk, but it's expected. It's so normal. However, we all know that a parrot, it's really cute to hear a parrot talk. Because it's a novelty. It's a novelty. So in a sense, there's an explanation at times given that Hashem wanted that novelty. Hashem wanted in the darkest of dark, we should make it the brightest of bright. Unfortunately, at the, this moment, we don't see this. Okay, so now we know. What have, what have we established so far? We've established so far, if you want to affect the physical world, you need to do physical mitzvot. And that Hashem wants a dwelling place in the physical world. So when you go ahead and you only connect with the spiritual, you're not bringing God down into the physical. However, we're only, we only, we're only going to see this revelation with the coming of Mashiach. We don't see it at the moment. 
So that's where the next section of Tanya, on page 2, in the, the third bullet of a dwelling place in the lower realms, it says, It is known that the Messianic era, especially the period after the resurrection of the dead, this is interesting, we actually we do have a process of the coming of Mashiach. There'll be the, and, and what you learn here is that you've that there's a resurrection of the dead, and after that is a messianic era in, in greater detail. And this is indeed the ultimate purpose and the fulfillment of the creation of this world. It is for this purpose that this world was originally created. This world was originally created for the messianic era where there'll be the revelation of godliness within the physical world. Okay? So let's summarize. Footnote 14 is worth mentioning. And that is that the revelation of God's light will illuminate over Israel during the Messianic era so bright that all the nations will be lit up. Through the superabundance of light which will shine upon the Jewish people, the darkness of the nations will also be lit up, as it is written, and nations will walk by year the Jewish people's light. It is interesting to note, and important to note, that the coming of Mashiach is not only an illumination for the Jewish people, but the entire world, the non-Jews as well, will be illuminated. So, this idea, the physical will be primarily, will, the revelation of godliness within the physical will be when Mashiach comes. And now we're going to conclude with perhaps the highlight of this section. And that is the value of each individual mitzvah. Another, another topic that, that Chabad at it, many years ago had a big disagreement with many others and actually you see that the world as a whole has taken on this approach and that was the value of each individual mitzvah. The Rebbe came out with a campaign called the Tefillin Campaign or the Kosher Campaign and, and these campaigns they included the ability to allow a Jew to put on Tefillin once in his lifetime to allow a Jew to eat kosher once in his life and at that time, there was a big, big argument within the, or, within the uh, Jewish world. What do you do? What, what's, one, what's the value of one mitzvah? What's the value? You know, you have boys that go out every Friday, and they go ask people, are you Jewish? And they put on tefillin once. What's, the, what's this value? You have a kosher, kosher soup kitchen. What's the value? Many times we're involved in items and they're temporary in a sense. You're, you have the ability to do one, one good deed. And here we're going to learn that the value of each individual mitzvah. And this itself is of extreme importance. Many times we look in within ourselves. I can only talk about myself. Maybe you've never been challenged with this and you're like, maybe I'm a hypocrite. I feel this way but I'm doing this. Right? Sometimes we feel like how people will... T- often I've heard people say, I can't put on tefillin. I haven't put it on and now I'm going to be... You know, I don't f- this is not where I'm holding. It's gonna, I'm going to be lying to God. No, no. Here we're going to learn this point. That each individual mitzvah is, is on, it's like winning the lottery each time. Would you mind winning the lottery only once? After waiting for the check. <laughs> yes, David. An act can cause a reawakening. And if you put on the tefillin once, it frequently serves the purpose of a reawakening. There are Jews who don't think about being Jewish. When they're stopped and they put on tefillin, it's a spiritual slap in the face. It awakens them. And 
they have to think about whether they're lying to God or not, whereas they may never have even considered it. I agree with you. And go ahead, Mark. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the butterfly effect. Yes. That the ramifications and the ripples of doing it once, you don't know what it's going to happen. It ties right back into what you just said, that slap in the face. However, well, okay, first I'll tell you a story about a slap in the face. <laughs> it happened with me. I was in big shock. A very nice woman I know, I saw her. I don't know if we want to hear this story. Yeah, I saw her on Shabbos. She was. She was getting. She was getting into her car. Yeah. Okay, so I, I turned to her and I said, "Good Shabbos." Mm-hmm. She starts giving me this mad, mad look, like, like, uh, like this, you know. And I'm like, oh, like, you know, maybe she's upset at me. Something. Mm-hmm. Later, I saw her husband. I checked in. I said, "I'm so sorry. What happened?" The husband told me it was interesting. You just, you, you're walking to Shul, and my wife was getting into her car. You made her, no, and he, not that she was upset at me, but like I, I, I really hit a chord, and she was like, it was, it was really hard for her. And you know, what was interesting is, I, that was the last thing I wanted to do was offend right. somebody. But you never know, it's interesting, you never mm-hmm. know. So that's just a story talking about you know, awakening people. However, to your point, the point of Tanya here is to say that I don't care if there'll be the butterfly effect or not. Mm-hmm. I know people that they, or organizations that they'll only work with others if, there's, if they believe there'll be the ripple effect. I'm only going to learn with you or invest time with you if I believe that I'm going to be able to make you uh, an extreme, if you're going to start having long pace. But if I don't see that path, I'm not going to deal with you. Mm-hmm. Tanya is sharing that that's not, that's a beautiful thing, but the goal is, at the moment, the individual mitzvah. It's an extremely powerful thought. There are, there are, there, perhaps not today, but there were people who said you cannot invite someone to put on tefillin until they've learned what it is, its importance. How could you just go around telling? Well, that may never happen. But here we're learning that I don't, if they don't know, let them do the mitzvah today. Let's see that inside. Let's see it inside. Bottom of page two, perfecting the, mit, the world a mitzvah at a time. Now, before we learn it inside, I need to jump ahead to footnote 17. Footnote 17 is of extreme importance. You'll also see my mistake. I mistakenly forgot to edit it. Footnote, nev- seven, footnote 17 on page three. The descent of the soul is undertaken not for its own sake, but its descent into this world is for the sole purpose of perfecting them, the body and the vital soul. Your soul is perfect. You did not come down here to perfect your, your godly soul. You came down here to elevate this world. That's an important introduction to this section. Your, your soul was perfect. It was in God's... It was under God's throne, we learned. And God took it out. And your soul, the soul, your soul was crying, Why are you dumping me inside of this dark world? And it wasn't for the soul, but it's for the body that, and the animalistic soul that the godly soul went in. With this introduction, let's look at the mitzvah itself creates the reward, page 2. Can we equate the vital soul and the body with the, uh, uh, with the um, um, holy soul and the animal soul? Are the terms synonymous? The body and the animal soul are not synonymous. There's a physical body, and then there's an animalistic soul within the body. But they, are, they go together. Is that what you meant? 
I was curious if the terms were synonymous and you answered the question. Okay. Let's just look at the bottom line. For it is the mitzvah itself that causes creates its reward. The mitzvah itself is the greatest reward. The great if someone if if this right we gave a forgive me, I'm just gonna use the president for a moment. Well, however you if president if the president today came and asked you to go to Starbucks to get a coffee for him, your reward is the fact that the president asked you to get coffee for him. You could use yourself as an example. It would be a reward to take a coffee for you. <laughs> I, 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 the king. If the king okay. came and asked you to get a coffee for him, <laughs> your reward is that the king yes, asked you. The king values you enough to ask you to get him his coffee. Yes. Asking is enough. The mitzvah, when you go ahead and you do a mitzvah, you go ahead and you give tzedakah. You go ahead and you eat kosher. You go ahead and you, you go ahead and you're kind to somebody else. You help someone in need. You visit, the, you visit the sick. The mitzvah you're doing is God's divine will. You're connecting at that moment with the deepest level of Hashem. That is the greatest reward. There's also physical blessings, physical rewards, the Torah tells us. But the greatest reward is the fact that you've connected with the deepest levels of Hashem at that moment. The mitzvah itself is its greatest reward. And when you do a mitzvah, that deepest level of Hashem is connected with the physical item we said. So, for example, if you turn the page to page 3, if you do a mitzvah with you go ahead and you kiss the mezuzah. So at that moment, you've drawn down Hashem within the physical parchment. You've drawn down Hashem within your physical hand that touched it. You've drawn down Hashem within your physical mouth. You're drawing down Hashem on the soul within your body. But I want to jump ahead. Of course, the food and drink you eat. But we, we discuss at great length. But how are we going to fix the whole world? Remember, there's a whole world out there that we need to refine. Okay, so maybe Borough Park and uh, Brooklyn, maybe Brooklyn and Eretz Yisrael, maybe there's enough mitzvahs being done there. But how is the whole world going to be elevated? Which we shared that there are 600,000 souls and each soul has a part of this world that they need to refine. And if each one of us do our mission, then the entire world is going to be elevated. So how can we prepare the entire world for the highest level of godliness that's within a mitzvah? By each one of us doing our part. And this is why I asked Albert earlier, how did you end up in Portland, Oregon? And the truth is, each one of us, how did we end up here? And how do some Jews end up in wherever they are? Hashem has put each one where they need to be. And, and the reason is because their mission is within that specific place. Sometimes we get stuck. Our trips take us places, right? Today on planes, your trips take you places you don't understand how you ended up there. But Hashem knows. 
And, and not, I was going to say perhaps, but it's not perhaps. Intentionally you ended up there with the mission to do. So let's summarize this all together and we'll take concluding thoughts. We need, our job here is not for, our spirit, not for our godly soul, but for the physical, to elevate the physical body, to elevate the physical world. And if each of us will do our part, the entire world will be elevated. We'll make this entire world a dwelling place for Hashem. And wherever we are put, we have a specific mission to do. So I think one of the concluding thoughts of this of these chapters, chapters 35, 36, and 37 of Tanya is that we all are here in the specific situation, specific place, specific setting, intentionally. Think about that. You are where you are at this moment. Each detail of where you are, you're at your specific age, you're at your specific home, you're in your specific um, lifestyle, your specific ability, intentionally from Hashem. And part of that intent, or not part of it, the intent is somehow within your setting to make the best of it and bring Hashem here. That's a very powerful thought. So are you saying I, the choice I think I have, I don't have? Clarify, please. Well, <laughs> you, made it, you made the choice. You no, but what happens if the choice that I think I made was already made for me? Because... Hashem has already decided. There's a conundrum presented in the that says everything is a matter of free will, but the course is predetermined. Which means, as I interpret it, and as I read in the footnote, God knows what's going on. You have the free will to fulfill His will. Mm. In, in the pathway that I decide, but the destination is already... And and it, and that is the essence of free will, in that that conundrum continues to exist. I can't put my finger on it right away. I don't want to waste no, I mean, time. No, I mean, I'm just actually kind of. It was enough of a concern that it's in there. Yeah. Could you say the question again? Yeah, sure. So. Could I try and say your question? Okay. If Hashem knows everything, then you don't have the ability to choose. But I do have the ability, what I'm saying is I have the ability to choose. I believe I have the ability to choose, but I really don't, because it's already predetermined. So you're saying it's, uh, what do they call reverse psychology? Hashem's playing with our minds, but we, he, he, He's allowing us to but choose what we've already chosen. This is so incredibly powerful, this is so incredibly powerful, because if it's already predetermined, whatever choice I make might take me longer to get there, but I'll eventually get there. Or shorter. Or shorter. So, so let me try and answer first a famous question. Let me share a thought. There is, there is a... It's exploding right now. I don't want your head to explode. I'm going to try and clarify something. Maybe it will help. We learn Hashem knows everything and we have free choice. And they don't work together. Seemingly. So I just want to share a thought. An analogy that I've learned and I think will give a little understanding to this. If you're standing at the top of the mountain and you see two cars coming at 150 miles an hour and you know they're going to crash, did you cause their crash? It's a yes or no question. No. You know they're going to crash. It's impossible for them to slow down at this moment, but have you caused them to crash? 
question is, if you weren't standing there, would they crash? Absolutely. So then, what? what? You're seeing them from afar. You, you know what's going to happen. You're, you're five minutes ahead of the game. But they're going to crash. Have you caused them to crash? No. No. So, the, so firstly, the fact that Hashem knows the future does not mean that we didn't have the, the, we don't, we didn't have the ability to choose it. Hashem knew what we're going to really choose. Like that man on top of the mountain, that he didn't, he didn't make those two cars crash. But they're going to crash. Esther, let's look at the story of Esther. In the story of Esther, Mordechai turns to Esther and he says, famous words, anyone? He says, the Jewish people are going to be saved. It's up to you if you want to be the person, the conduit to do it. Are you familiar with this quote? He says, he says right before she says, I can't go to the king, I'm going to die. And he says, he tells her, that the Jewish people will be saved. Do you want to be? A, you want to help them or not? Is it going to be through you or through someone else? Oh, so the so certain things are predetermined, or everything is predetermined. But the like Mark was saying, but but the route is not predetermined. I don't have an answer to everything. No. See, the, no, 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 no. Because what I want to say is the Ram tells us clearly it's above our head to truly understand how everything works together. But I just was giving a little insight that the fact that Hashem knows the future does not mean that we can't choose the future. He knows what we're going to choose, and that's not a contradiction. Give it some thoughts. Any other questions? Okay, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you.